This is a recording of The Messiah Will Set Himself Again, Jacob's Use of Isaiah 11.11 in 2 Nephi 6.14 and Jacob 6.2 by Matthew L. Bowen, published in Interpreter, a Journal of Latter-day Saint Faith and Scholarship, read by Victor Worth. Abstract. In sermons and writings, Jacob twice quotes the prophecy of Isaiah 11.11, quote, The Lord, Adonai, shall set his hand again, Yosip, the second time, to gather the remnant of his people. In 2 Nephi 6.14 and Jacob 6.2, Jacob uses Isaiah 11.11 as a lens through which he interprets much lengthier prophetic texts that detail the restoration, redemption, and gathering of Israel. Namely, Isaiah 49.22 through 52.2, and Zenos' allegory of the olive trees, Jacob 5. In using Isaiah 11.11 in 2 Nephi 6.14, Jacob, consistent with the teachings of his father Lehi, 2 Nephi 2.6, identifies Adonai, the Lord, in Isaiah 11.11 as, quote, the Messiah, close quote, and the one who will, quote, set himself again the second time to recover, close quote, his people, both Israel and the righteous Gentiles who believe in him and, quote, manifest himself unto them in great glory, close quote. This recovery and restoration will be so thoroughgoing as to include the resurrection of the dead. See 2 Nephi 9, 1 through 2 and 12 through 13. In Jacob 6, 2, Jacob equates the image of the Lord, quote, setting his hand again, Yosip, the second time to recover his people, Isaiah 11, 11, to the Lord of the vineyards, quote, laboring in, and, quote, nourishing again, the vineyard to, quote, bring forth again, cf. Hebrew Yosip, the natural fruit, Jacob 5, 29 through 33, and 51 through 77, into the vineyard. All of this suggests that Jacob saw Isaiah 49, 22 through 52, 2, and Zenos' allegory, Jacob 5, as telling essentially the same story. For Jacob, the prophetic declaration of Isaiah 11.11 concisely summed up this story, describing divine initiative and iterative action to recover or gather Israel in terms of the verb yosip. Jacob foresaw this divine action as being accomplished through the servant and servants in Isaiah 49-52, servants analogous to those described by Zenos in his allegory. For Jacob, the idiomatic use of Yosip in Isaiah 11.11, as he quotes it in 2 Nephi 6.14 and Jacob 6.2, and as repeated throughout Zenos' allegory in Jacob 5, reinforces the patriarch Joseph's statement, preserved in 2 Nephi 3, that this figure would be a Joseph, Yosep. Nephi regarded the prophecy of Isaiah 11.11, And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again, Yosip, the second time to recover the remnant of his people, as having transcendent covenant significance. He recognized that the Lord's setting his hand again, literally adding his hand, to gather the remnant of Israel the second time, would signal his commencing the work to fulfill all the covenants of the Father for the final time. Beyond his wholesale quotation of Isaiah 11 in 2 Nephi 21, Nephi quotes Isaiah 11.11 in two additional Gezerah Shoah-type juxtapositions, 
with quotations from Isaiah 29:14, quote, "Therefore behold, I will proceed, Yosip, to do a marvelous work among this people." Close quote. See 2 Nephi 25:17 and 21, 2 Nephi 29:1, on the basis of the use of the verb Yosip in both passages. CF also 1 Nephi 22, 8-12. For his part, Nephi's brother Jacob also understood Isaiah 11:11 as nothing less than a prophecy of the final and complete gathering of Israel in fulfillment of divine covenant. Jacob quotes Isaiah 11:11 twice in juxtaposition with other prophetic texts in 2 Nephi 6:14 and Jacob 6:2. In 2 Nephi 6.14, Jacob interpretively quotes Isaiah 11.11 as part of a katena, or chain, of Isaianic texts and allusions, e.g. Isaiah 49.22-23, as an introduction, 2 Nephi 6.6-15, to his covenant speech comprising 2 Nephi 6-10. through This covenant sermon, which includes important doctrinal statements about the implications of Christ's atonement for Israel and humankind, was likely given at the temple in the city of Nephi, perhaps at the time of the autumn festival complex and the Day of Atonement. In the sermon, Jacob offers a sophisticated and rich exegesis of Isaiah 49:22 through 52:2, quoted in full in 2 Nephi 6:6 6, 6 through 7, 2 Nephi 6:16 6, through 8:25. Jacob's use of Isaiah 11:11 in 2 Nephi 6:14 as part of the Isaiah Katena provides a prophetic framework for the fulfillment of the covenant made effective through Jesus' atonement. Much later in life, Jacob uses Isaiah 11.11 in Jacob 6.2 as one of two major hermeneutical lenses through which he interprets the entirety of Zena's allegory of the olive tree, a grand parable of Christ's atonement and the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. In this study, I will explore both of Jacob's uses of the prophecy of Isaiah 11.11 in 2 Nephi 6.14 and Jacob 6.2 within the context in which he uses it and the implications of each. I will further examine the specific relationship between Jacob's quotation of Isaiah 11.11 in 2 Nephi 6.14 as part of his covenant sermon, 2 Nephi 6-10, and Jacob's use of Isaiah 11.11 as a hermeneutical lens or interpretive framework for Zenos' allegory in Jacob 6.2. Jacob's use of Isaiah 11.11 in both instances suggests that he saw Isaiah 49.22 through Isaiah 52.2 and Zenos' allegory, Jacob 5, as telling essentially the same story, the gathering, redemption, and restoration of the house of Israel, including Israel's full restoration in the flesh, i.e. resurrection from the dead, cf. Romans 11.15. Hence, I further propose that Jacob's description of the Messiah setting himself again, 2 Nephi 6.14, has important implications for the identity of the servant of the Lord of the vineyard and his fellow servants, and the nature of their latter-day labor to gather Israel for the final time. Jacob understood that the Messiah would accomplish this through a commissioned servant with royal and priestly authority. These texts hint that the servant would be a Joseph. 
the Messiah made manifest as suffering servant and divine warrior. 2 Nephi 6.14 John W. Welch has proposed that Jacob gave the speech preserved in 2 Nephi 6-10 through 10 at the recently built temple in the land of Nephi, possibly, quote, at or shortly after Nephi's coronation as king, close quote. This scenario, however, must allow for a roughly 10-year gap between the time that Nephi's people, quote, would or willed that I should be their king, 2 Nephi 5.18, and Nephi's eventual assumption of kingship, if he ever really indeed assumed such. At first, Nephi appears to decline the proposition that he, quote, be their king, close quote, quote, but I, Nephi, was desirous that they should have no king. Nevertheless, I did for them according to that which was in my power. 2 Nephi 5.18 Just as Gideon appears to decline the offer of dynastic rule in Judges 8.22-23, Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son, and thy son's son also, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Close quote. Gideon then proceeds to act like a king, establishing a cult site at Ophrah, Judges 8.26-27, having a large harem, Judges 8.29-30, and naming a son Abimelech, my father is king, with its double entendre, my father, God, is king, my father, Gideon, is king. Katie Heffelfinger argues that Gideon is in fact accepting the offer of kingship, even in the act of declining it. It is conceivable that Nephi does something similar. Nephi, quote, builds a temple after the manner of the Temple of Solomon, 2 Nephi 5.16, i.e. a royal cult site. Nephi's small plates record is superscripted with the subtitle, quote, his reign and ministry, close quote, which should probably be understood in terms of the Israelite Judahite notion of Melukah, status as king, kingship or kingdom, or Mamlaka. Dominion, kingdom, kingship, royal sovereignty, rather than the centuries later Nephite notion of regime, as in, quote, the reign of the judges, close quote. Also, Jacob records that Nephi eventually, quote, anointed a man to be a king and a ruler over his people. Now, according to the reigns of the kings, wherefore the people were desirous to retain in remembrance Nephi's name, and whoso should reign in his stead were called by the people 2 Nephi and 3 Nephi, etc., according to the reigns of the kings. Jacob 1, 9. This second king and ruler was likely Nephi's own son. See especially Mosiah 25, 13. Whatever the case, a royal, temple, covenant context makes best sense as the Sitzim Leben for Jacob's first recorded sermon. John Thompson identifies Jacob's speech in 2 Nephi 6.10 as a covenant speech, given at the time of the ancient Israelite autumn festival complex, which includes the Feast of the Tabernacles, Sukkot. Under Thompson's model, 2 Nephi 6.1-4 form a kind of, quote, preamble and titular, close quote. 2 Nephi 6.5-9.22 constitutes the, quote, historical overview and the covenant speech proper, close quote. Second Nephi 9.23-26 provides, quote, the stipulations of the covenant or treaty, close quote. Second Nephi 9.27-43 lists out, quote, cursings and blessings, close quote, 
for, quote, those who do not keep the law, close quote. Finally, there follows a witness formula in 2 Nephi 9.44, in which Jacob invokes the Lord as a witness that he was, quote, rid of the blood, close quote, of his people and a, quote, recording of the contract, close quote, by urging his people to remember the words of your God, i.e. the terms of the covenant. Jacob's use of Isaiah 11.11 in 2 Nephi 6.14, then, belongs to the historical overview portion of the covenant speech, as does most of the rest of the Isaiah material that Jacob quotes. See especially the quotation of Isaiah 51-52 through 52 in 2 Nephi 7-8, through 8, and Jacob's interpretation of Isaiah in 2 Nephi 9. In Jacob's covenant speech, the Lord's, quote, way of deliverance for Israel and all humankind from monster enemies, death, mot, hell, sheol, and the devil, had a firm basis in his previous ransom and redemption of Israel from the monster enemies, Rahab, Egypt, Yam, the sea, and the dragon. Israel and Zion can rely on the Lord to gather and protect them precisely because he has done so in the past. Quote, Wherefore, after they are driven to and fro, for thus saith the angel, many shall be afflicted in the flesh and shall not be suffered to perish because of the prayers of the faithful. Wherefore, they shall be scattered and smitten and hated. Nevertheless, the Lord will be merciful unto them, that when they shall come to the knowledge of their Redeemer, they shall be gathered together again to the lands of their inheritance. Second Nephi 6.11, CF 1 Nephi 10.14. The horizon of this gathering extends even beyond death and hell, physical death and the intermediate state of the spirit world, to resurrection. In other words, the resurrection from the dead, quote, to lands of their inheritance, close quote, constitutes a vital part of that promised regathering. See especially 2 Nephi 9, 1-22. An important part of Jacob's rhetorical strategy in this covenant speech is his adaptation of Isaiah's so-called Zion theology. This expression refers to the perceived doctrine or premise in Isaiah's writing that Yahweh's promises regarding the inviolability or unconquerability of Zion were unconditional and irrevocable. These included promises such as the Lord's dynastic promise to David in 2 Samuel 7.16 regarding his house being established or made sure, Weneman Beteka, understood to be a sure house, Beit Neeman, i.e. a perpetual dynasty, in the context of later conditional reiterations of that covenant, C.E.G. 1 Kings 8.25 and 9.5. Some divine promises, like the promise of the resurrection of the dead, represent unconditional divine promises. In fact, Luke interprets Isaiah's covenant expression, quote, the sure mercies of David, chaste David hane emanim, Isaiah 55.3, a phrase referring to the guaranteed covenant promises to David as having direct reference to Jesus Christ and the resurrection. See Acts 13.34. Yahweh's promises to Ahaz of preservation and protection for Jerusalem and the house of David from the Syro-Ephraimite and later Assyrian threat in Isaiah 7, notwithstanding Ahaz's unfaithfulness, arguably represent the type of promise in view here. 
Matthew recognized that the, quote, Emmanuel prophecy in Isaiah 7.14 and the divine preservation of the Davidic line had special significance for Jesus as a Davidic descendant. The Emmanuel child of the 8th century, son of Ahaz, Isaiah himself, or otherwise, symbolized that God was with Jerusalem and the house of David, Isaiah 8, 8 and 11. Jesus in the first century did not merely symbolize God with us, indeed he came as God with us in the flesh. See Matthew 1, 23, 17, 17, 28, 20. In 2 Nephi 6.13, Jacob invokes so-called Zion theology when he employs the language of two important Isaiahic Zion prophecies. Isaiah 29.7-8, quote, They that fight against Zion, close quote. And Isaiah 49.23, quote, Lick up the dust of thy feet, close quote. Quote, They shall not be ashamed that wait for me, close quote. Quote, Wherefore, they that fight against Zion and the covenant people of the Lord shall lick up the dust of their feet, and the people of the Lord shall not be ashamed. For the people of the Lord are they who wait for him, for they still wait for the coming of the Messiah. 2 Nephi 6.13 With the Zion theology of Isaiah 29.7-8 and 49.23 as backdrop, Jacob transforms Isaiah 11.11 into one of the most powerful expressions of so-called Zion theology conceivable. Isaiah 11.11 And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord, Adonai, shall set his hand again, Yosip, the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. 2 Nephi 6.14 And behold, according to the words of the prophet, the Messiah will set himself again, Yosip, the second time to recover them. Wherefore, he will manifest himself unto them in power and great glory, unto the destruction of their enemies, when that day cometh that they shall believe in him, and none will he destroy that believe in him. Jacob, who had been taught by his father Lehi that redemption comes, quote, in and through the Holy Messiah, 2 Nephi 2.6, identifies the figure of Adonai, the Lord, from Isaiah 11.11, cf. Psalms 110.1, with the Messiah. Accordingly, he makes the Messiah the subject of the verb rendered set himself again, cf. Hebrew Yosip. This adaptation suggests that the Messiah's recovering, i.e. gathering together, verse 11, his people as divine warrior, a second time, and manifesting himself unto them in power and great glory, was preceded by a first attempt, or earlier attempts, and recovery that met with unwillingness on the part of the house of Israel. Jacob had reference to this attempt at gathering when he stated, quote, After he should manifest himself, they should scourge him and crucify him according to the words of the angel which spake it unto me. 2 Nephi 6.9 the Lord's setting himself, or manifesting himself, a second time to gather his people, coincided with his, quote, proceeding to do a marvelous work and a wonder, Isaiah 29.14, 2 Nephi 25.17, and 29.1, with the coming forth of the contents of, quote, the book that is sealed, Isaiah 29.11. The words of the book would come forth in the words of Moroni, quote, 
to the convincing of the Jew and Gentile that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God, manifesting himself unto all nations. Close quote, Book of Mormon title page. In other words, the Lord's setting himself or manifesting himself a second time to Israel and to the world would begin with the coming forth of the Book of Mormon prior to his second coming in glory. The promise of gathering in Isaiah 11, 11 through 12, including the images of the gathering hand and the lifted up ensign, Hebrew nace, or standard in Isaiah 11, 12, paints a picture very similar to the prophecy of Isaiah 49, 22 through 23, which Jacob had previously quoted in 2 Nephi 6, 6 through 7. Quote, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up, Esa, my hand, Yadi, to the Gentiles, Goyim, nations, and set up my standard, my ensign, Nisi, to the people. And they shall bring thy sons in their arms, and thy daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders. And kings shall be thy nursing fathers, and their queens thy nursing mothers. They shall bow down to thee with their faces toward the earth, and lick up the dust of thy feet. And thou shalt know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. Second Nephi 6, 6 6-7 One important exegetical result of Jacob's use of Isaiah 49, 23-23, Second Nephi 6, 6-7 and 13, in connection with Isaiah 11, 11 through 12, Second Nephi 6:14, is that the former text in the broader covenant context of Jacob's speech gives a detailed picture of just how his ancient hearers and modern readers can expect the fulfillment of Isaiah 11:11 11, 11 through 12. In other words, Jacob uses Isaiah 11:11 11, 11 through 12 to adumbrate the more detailed prophecy of Isaiah 49:22 through 52:2 in his covenant speech, 2 Nephi 6 through 10, and convey his prophetic vision of its fulfillment. He will use Isaiah 11:11, 11, 11, 11 through 12, very similarly to Adam Zenus's prophetic allegory as recorded in Jacob 5, cf. Jacob 6:2. In addition to its attestation in Isaiah 11:12 in connection with Israel's gathering, there exists one additional attestation of nace, ensign, standard, in Isaiah 11, two verses earlier. Quote, and in that day there shall be a root, Shoresh, of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Close quote. The quote-unquote root of Jesse and the quote-unquote ensign, Nace, in Isaiah 11.10, were interpreted widely in Second Temple Judaism as having reference to a messianic king. For example, Paul quoted Isaiah 11.10 as having reference to Jesus Christ, He Riza to Yesai, the root of Jesse. And John, on the same basis, describes Jesus as He Riza Dawid, the root of David, Revelation 5.5. 5. Jacob's use of Isaiah 11.11 in 2 Nephi 6.14 supports this interpretation of Isaiah 11.10. Lehi's interpretation of the prophecy of Joseph in Egypt, which also employs the language of Isaiah, further supports this Christological messianic interpretation of Isaiah 11.10. 2 Nephi 6.14 And behold, according to the words of the prophet, the Messiah will set himself again, Yosip, 
the second time to recover them. Wherefore he will manifest himself unto them in power and great glory, unto the destruction of their enemies, when that day cometh when they shall believe in him, and none will he destroy that believe in him. Second Nephi 3.5 Wherefore Joseph, Yosep, truly saw our day, and he obtained a promise of the Lord that out of the fruit of his loins the Lord God would raise up a righteous branch unto the house of Israel, not the Messiah, but a branch which was to be broken off. Nevertheless, to be remembered in the covenants of the Lord, that the Messiah should be manifest unto them in the latter days, in the spirit of power, unto the bringing of them out of darkness unto light, yea, out of hidden darkness, and out of captivity unto freedom. Lehi's words to Jacob's brother Joseph, as preserved in Second Nephi 3.5, shed additional light on the meaning of Jacob's picture of the Messiah, who would manifest himself unto his people in power and great glory. Prior to the Messiah's, quote, destruction of the enemies, close quote, of his people, he would, quote, be manifest unto them in the latter days, in the spirit of power, close quote, in bringing his people, like liberated war captives, quote, out of darkness unto light, yea, out of hidden darkness, and out of captivity unto freedom, close quote. Jacob describes the result of that divine action later in his speech, quote, And it shall come to pass that they shall be gathered in from their long dispersion from the isles of the sea and from the four parts of the earth. And the nations of the Gentiles shall be great in the eyes of me, saith God, in carrying them forth to the lands of their inheritance. 2 Nephi 10.8 Here again, Jacob incorporates the language of Isaiah 11.11-12 from the islands of the sea. He shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. And Isaiah 49.22 carried upon their shoulders. In March 1838 of far west Missouri, the prophet Joseph Smith offered a second interpretation of the root of Jesse. Quote, What is the root of Jesse spoken of in the 10th verse of the 11th chapter, i.e. Isaiah 11.10? Behold, thus saith the Lord, It is a descendant of Jesse, as well as of Joseph, unto whom rightly belongs the priesthood, and the keys of the kingdom, for an ensign and for the gathering of my people on the last days. Beyond the traditional messianic interpretations, Joseph Smith saw in Isaiah 11.10 a prophecy of a mortal man living in the last days, in whose hands would be concentrated both royal authority, keys of the kingdom, and priestly authority, priesthood. This figure suggests both the figure of, quote, the servant of the Lord of the vineyard, close quote, recurring throughout Zena's allegory, and the polyvalent figure of the, quote, servant, as found in Isaiah 48 through 53. Isaiah 49, 3, quote, And the Lord said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. And now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him. Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the ends of the earth. Isaiah 49, 3 and 5 through 6. 
In this text, the Lord commissions the prophet, cf. verses 1 through 2, or Israel, verse 3, as a quote-unquote servant, to gather and raise up the tribes of scattered Jacob Israel. Quote, Though Israel be not gathered, Masoretic text, we Israel lo yasep, or, quote, to gather Israel to him, we Israel lo yasep, and to bring Jacob again to him. In other words, Israel must gather Israel. The commissioning of collective Israel as a servant and servants, a temple and priestly term, as well as prophetic, to gather Israel, echoes the special commissioning of the servant of the Lord of the vineyard and his fellow servants in Zena's allegory. Quote, and it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard sent his servant, and the servant went and did as the Lord had commanded him, and brought other servants, and they were few. And the Lord of the vineyard said unto them, Go to, and labor in the vineyard with your minds. For behold, this is the last time that I shall nourish my vineyard. Jacob 5, 70-71 When we consider the fulfillment of this prophecy, it is both interesting and significant that one of the most recurrent expressions in the Doctrine of Covenants is the expression, My servant Joseph. And numerous revelations address other specific individuals as My servant. Several of these individuals receive their own commissioning as they are addressed with this expression. And in the day that he shall set his hand again, the servants of the Lord of the vineyard and the function of Isaiah 11.11 in Jacob 6.2. Jacob's second direct quotation of Isaiah 11.11 occurs when he uses the latter text as a concise summary of Jacob 5.51-74, and thus as an interpretive lens for the entire allegory in Jacob 6.2. Jacob equates the Lord's setting his hand again to recover his people with the servants of the Lord, or the servants of the Lord of the vineyard, going forth in the Lord's power to nourish and prune his vineyard. Isaiah 11.11 And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again, Yosip, the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. Jacob 6.2 and in the day that he shall set his hand again, Yosip, the second time, to recover his people, is the day, yea, even the last time, that the servants of the Lord shall go forth in his power to nourish and prune his vineyard, and after that the end soon cometh. Jacob's second quotation of Isaiah 11.11 in Jacob 6.2, like the first quotation in 2 Nephi 6.14, employs the key Hebrew idiom Yosip, or its functional scribal equivalent. Recalling Nephi's quotation of Isaiah 11.11 and 29.14 in 2 Nephi 25.17 and in reverse order in 2 Nephi 29.14 as a wordplay on the name Joseph, cf. 2 Nephi 25.21, we can plausibly posit that Jacob is engaging in a similar type of wordplay in 2 Nephi 6.14 and Jacob 6.2. I will discuss the significance of this further below. Another key term in Isaiah 11.11 and Jacob 6.2, viewing the latter as a hermeneutical lens for Zenith's entire allegory, Jacob 5, is the noun hand, Hebrew yad. 
Jacob augments the image of the Lord, quote, setting his hand again the second time, close quote, to gather Israel with additional hand gesture imagery found in both Isaiah and Zena's allegory. Jacob avers, quote, And how merciful is our God unto us! For he remembereth the house of Israel, both roots and branches, and he stretches forth his hand unto them all the day long. And they are a stiff-necked and a gainsaying people, but as many as will not harden their hearts shall be saved in the kingdom of God. Jacob 6, four. Jacob quotes part of Isaiah 65, 2, quote, I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people, close quote. Nearly the same language evident in Isaiah 65, 2, along with Isaiah 5, 4, and 6, occurs in Zena's allegory in Jacob 5, 47, quote, But what could I have done more in my vineyard? Isaiah 5, 4. Have I slackened my hand that I have not nourished it? Nay, I have nourished it, and have digged it, and have pruned it, and have dunged it. And I have stretched forth my hand almost all the day long, and the end draweth nigh. And it grieveth me that I should hew down all the trees of my vineyard, and cast them into the fire that they should be burned. Who is it that hath corrupted my vineyard? Although the Lord of the vineyard first mentions his intention to, quote, labor again in the vineyard, close quote, a final time as early as Jacob 5, 29 through 33, that final labor does not commence until Jacob 5, 51, after he laments having, quote, stretched forth mine hand almost all the day long, Jacob 5, 47. The divine hand in Jacob 6, 2, Isaiah 11, 11, belongs to the same pair of hands mentioned in Jacob 6, 4, quote, he stretches forth his hands unto them all the day long, quoting Jacob 5, 47 and Isaiah 65, 2. The Messiah setting himself again as the Lord of the vineyard calling servants to bring forth again the natural fruit. One of the earliest unmistakable quotations from Zena's allegory of the olive tree from the brass plates prior to Jacob's full-length inclusion of it in Jacob 5 comes in Lehi's interpretation of Zenus, quote, And after the house of Israel should be scattered, they should be gathered together again, or in fine, after the Gentiles had received the fullness of the gospel, the natural branches of the olive tree, or the remnants of the house of Israel, should be grafted in, or come to the knowledge of the true Messiah, their Lord and their Redeemer. 1 Nephi 10.14 Jacob's later prophecy as part of his covenant speech in 2 Nephi 6-10 through appears to have direct reference to Lehi's interpretation of Zenos, quote, Wherefore, they shall be scattered and smitten and hated. Nevertheless, the Lord will be merciful unto them, that when they shall come to the knowledge of their Redeemer, they shall be gathered together again to the lands of their inheritance. And blessed are the Gentiles, they of whom the prophet has written. 2 Nephi 6, 11-12 Jacob uses the Gentiles mentioned in Isaiah 49, 23, and 1 Nephi 10.14, to segue into his interpretive quotation of Isaiah 49.23 in 2 Nephi 6.13. See above. Lehi's interpretation of Zena's allegory in 1 Nephi 10.14, and Jacob's recapitulation of that interpretation in 2 Nephi 6.11-12, both employ the nearly identical expressions, quote, they should be gathered together again, close quote, and, quote, they shall be gathered together again, close quote.
It is probable that the Hebrew idiom hosip, yosip, plus od, add, to do more, continue to do more, do something yet more, underlies these expressions, at least conceptually. This idiom ideologizes the name Joseph, may he add, may he do again, in the Genesis narratives, see Genesis 30:24 and 37:5 and 8, and constitutes a key term in Isaiah 11:11 and 29:14. We should also note that the Hebrew words kibetz, gather, and asap, gather, take away, the latter of which etiologizes the name Joseph in Genesis 30:23, may also underlie the notion of gathering here. In terms of semantics, the verbs yasap and asap are closely related. Yasap, add, increase, and asap, to gather, collect, which in some contexts constitutes an increase. In Genesis 30, 23-24, where Rachel explains Joseph's naming, they express the antonymic notions of taking away and adding. In at least one passage, the vav consecutive form, yosep, also denotes gathering. Quote, and he, David, gathered, Yosep, 2 Samuel 6, 1. Significantly, both are used as key terms in Isaiah eleven twelve to describe the gathering of Israel. Quote, and it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again, Yosep, the second time, to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the Isles of the Sea. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble, Asap, the outcasts of Israel and gather together, Yekabetz, the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth, Isaiah 11, 11 through 12. Jacob sees Isaiah 11, 11 through 12 as the appropriate conceptual framework for interpreting Zena's allegory. The Lord of the Vineyards declared intention that he and his servants, the divine we, would, quote, gather again in his corrupted vineyard in order that, quote, I may preserve again the good fruit, close quote, comes relatively early in the allegory, Jacob 5, 29 and 33. Thus, the Hebrew idiom yosip plus verbal component do again, or its functional scribal equivalent, occurs twice in the early part of the allegory. More noteworthy, however, this idiom constitutes a dominant motif in Jacob 5, 51-77. That idiom occurs as many as 13 times, Jacob 5, 58, 60-61, four times, 63-64, possibly two times, 67-68, two times, 73-75, three times, and 77. Following his quotation of the entirety of Zena's allegory, Jacob immediately quotes Isaiah 11.11, 11, offering it as the interpretive lens through which to view the whole of Jacob 5.51-77. It must be significant that Jacob quotes the same Isaiah passage that he transformed into such an emphatic expression of Zion theology in his covenant speech, see 2 Nephi 6.14. Jacob now uses that passage in which Hebrew Yosip describes iterative divine action to serve as the key term to interpret Zenus' allegory, especially that part of the allegory, Jacob 5, 51-77, in which the same Yosip idiom, or something very similar, occurs. Jacob 5, 61-63 Quote, 
Wherefore, go to and call servants, that we may labor diligently with our minds in the vineyard, that we may prepare the way, that I may bring forth again, cf. weosip, or yosip, the natural fruit, which natural fruit is good, and the most precious above all other fruit. Wherefore, let us go to and labor with our might this last time. For behold, the end draweth nigh, and this is for the last time that I shall prune my vineyard. Graft in the branches, and dig about the trees, that all may be nourished once again for the last time. Jacob 6.2 And in the day that he shall set his hand again, Yosip, the second time to recover his people, quoting Isaiah 11.11, is the day, yea, even the last time, that the servants of the Lord shall go forth in his power to nourish and prune his vineyard, and after that the end soon cometh. The lexical context of Jacob 6.2 makes it virtually certain that Jacob has the last movement of Zenos' allegory, Jacob 5.51-77, generally in view here. But also Jacob 5.61-63 in particular, much of which he replicates in that verse. Moreover, Jacob's quotation of Isaiah 11.11 and re-quotation of Zenos from Jacob 5.61-62 in Jacob 6.2, functionally equates the sentences, quote, Wherefore go to and call servants, that I may bring forth again the natural fruit, close quote, and, quote, He, Yahweh, shall set his hand again the second time to recover his people, close quote. In other words, for Jacob the Lord adding, cf. weosip, to, quote, bring forth again the natural fruit, close quote, meant his adding, yosip, his, quote, hand to recover his people, close quote. As Lehi taught his son Joseph, and as Nephi and Jacob surely also learned from the words of Joseph in Egypt regarding the human instrumentality of divine adding to bring forth and adding to recover or gather, quote, and his name shall be called after me, Joseph, and it shall be after the name of his father, and he shall be like unto me, For the thing which the Lord shall bring forth by his hand, by the power of the Lord, shall bring my people unto salvation. 2 Nephi 3.15 Joseph, Hebrew Yosep, may he, God, add. The Joseph form of Yosep is the evident key term in Jacob 5.61-62, and more broadly in verses 51-77, as well as 6.2. Taken together, the term servant and the replete use of the Hebrew idiom Yosip in Jacob 5.51-77, bring to mind the expression, quote, my servant Joseph, close quote, used ubiquitously throughout the Doctrine and Covenants, and the plural, servants, mentioned in Jacob 5.61, 70, 72, and 75, and 6.2, remind us of the other individuals addressed as servant in those revelations. We compare Jacob's two individual quotations of Isaiah 11.11 to help round out his hermeneutical view of Isaiah's prophecy. 2 Nephi 6.14 and 2 Nephi 3.5 And behold, according to the words of the prophet, the Messiah will set himself again, Yosip, the second time to recover them. Wherefore he will manifest himself unto them in power and great glory unto the destruction of their enemies, when that day cometh, when they shall believe in him. And none will he destroy that believe in him. Second Nephi 6.14 Wherefore Joseph, Yosep, 
truly saw our day, and he obtained a promise of the Lord that out of the fruit of his loins the Lord God would raise up a righteous branch unto the house of Israel, not the Messiah, but a branch which was to be broken off, nevertheless to be remembered in the covenants of the Lord, that the Messiah should be made manifest unto them in the latter days, in the spirit of power unto the bringing of them out of darkness unto light, yea, out of hidden darkness and out of captivity unto freedom. Second Nephi 3.5 Jacob 6.2 And in the day that he shall set his hand again, Yosip, the second time, to recover his people, quoting Isaiah 11.11, is the day, yea, even the last time, that the servants of the Lord shall go forth in his power to nourish and prune his vineyard. And after that the end soon cometh. Second Nephi 6.14 and Second Nephi 3.5 exhibit striking lexical and phraseological similarities. He will set himself again, Yosip, corresponding to Joseph, Yosep. The Messiah will be made manifest unto them in power and great glory, corresponding to the Messiah should be made manifest unto them in the latter days in the spirit of power. Unto the destruction of their enemies, acting as divine warrior, corresponding to unto the bringing of them out of darkness unto light and out of captivity unto freedom, acting as divine warrior. In fact, Jacob plausibly relied on the language of Lehi as recorded by Nephi, quote, the Messiah should be made manifest in the latter days, close quote, in foretelling of the day when, quote, the Messiah will manifest himself, close quote. Jacob 6.2 shares significant terminology with both 2 Nephi 6.14 and 2 Nephi 3.5, including, He shall set again, Yosip, Joseph, Yosep, power, and the day. Jacob's interpretation of Zenos through the lens of Isaiah 11.11 establishes congruity between his earlier statement that, quote, The Messiah will be made manifest unto them in power and great glory, 2 Nephi 6.14, Lehi's statement that, quote, the Messiah should be made manifest unto them in the latter days in the spirit of power, 2 Nephi 3.5, and his later statement that, quote, the servants of the Lord shall go forth in his power to nourish and prune his vineyard, Jacob 6.2. In other words, prior to Jesus Christ's second coming, the Messiah would manifest himself, or be made manifest, to his commissioned servants, in Theophanies and through the Holy Ghost, and through those same servants, as they would, quote, go forth in his power to nourish and prune his vineyard, close quote. These servants would do all the work necessary to gather Israel a final time. Moreover, Lehi's 1 Nephi 10.14 and Jacob's 2 Nephi 16.14, respective uses of the distinctive Hebrew title, the Messiah, Hebrew Mashiach, the Anointed One, in texts with strong lexical affinities to Isaiah 11, 11 through 12, and the olive horticulture and harvest metaphor of Jacob 5, interpreted through the lens of Isaiah 11, 11 in Jacob 6, 2, creates a Christocentric framework within which to view all of these passages. From a Latter-day Saint perspective, it hardly even needs to be pointed out how appropriate the meaning of the name of the olive garden, Gethsemane, and what transpired there emerged in this context, C.F. Aramaic Gat Shemane, Hebrew Gat Shemanim, both literally press of oils. Conclusion Jacob twice uses the prophecy of Isaiah 11.11, 11, 
the Lord shall set his hand again, Yosip, the second time to recover, Liknot, by acquire, the remnant of his people, as an interpretive lens for understanding and explaining lengthier prophecies of Isaiah and Zenos that detail the restoration, redemption, and gathering of Israel. Isaiah 49:24 through 52:2, Jacob 5. In 2 Nephi 6:14, Jacob uses language from Isaiah, Isaiah 11:11, 11, 11, and Lehi, 2 Nephi 3:5, to identify Yahweh as the Messiah, who will quote, set himself again, Hebrew Yosip, to recover close quote, his people, both Israel and the righteous Gentiles who believe in him, and quote, manifest himself unto them in great glory. Close quote. This recovery and restoration will be so thoroughgoing as to include the resurrection of the dead. In Jacob 6.2, Jacob equates the image of the Lord sending his hand again, Yosip, to recover his people, Isaiah 11.11, to the Lord of the vineyards laboring in and nourishing again, the vineyard to bring forth again the natural fruit, Jacob 5.29-33 and 51-77, into the vineyard. All of the foregoing suggest that Jacob saw Isaiah 49:22 through 52:2, and Zenith's allegory as telling essentially the same story, as summed up in the prophetic declaration of Isaiah 11:11, 11, 11, which describes divine initiative and action to recover or gather Israel in terms of the verb Yosip, he shall set again. Jacob foresaw the divine action as being accomplished through the servant or servants, analogous to those described by Zenas in his allegory. The idiomatic use of Yosip in Isaiah 11.11, as quoted in 2 Nephi 6.14 and Jacob 6.2, and as repeated throughout Zenas' allegory, Jacob 5, reinforces the patriarch Joseph's statement, preserved in 2 Nephi 3, that this figure would be a Joseph, Yosep. Author's Note I would like to thank Susie Bowen, Jeff Lindsay, Alan Wyatt, Victor Wirth, Tanya Spackman, Don Norton, and Daniel C. Peterson. Matthew Bohm was raised in Orem, Utah, and graduated from Brigham Young University. He holds a Ph.D. in Biblical Studies from the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C., and is currently an Associate Professor in Religious Education at Brigham Young University, Hawaii. He is also the author of Name as Key Word, Collected Essays on Onomastic Wordplay and the Temple in Mormon Scripture, Salt Lake City, Interpreter Foundation, and Eborn Books, 2018. He and his wife, the former Suzanne Blackberg, are the parents of three children, Zachariah, Nathan, and Adele. This has been a recording of The Messiah Will Set Himself Again, Jacob's Use of Isaiah 11.11 in 2 Nephi 6.14 and Jacob 6.2 by Matthew L. Bowen. Published in Interpreter, a Journal of Latter-day Saint Faith and Scholarship, Volume 44, 2021, read by Victor Wirth. This audio recording is copyrighted under Creative Commons license and may be freely distributed if it remains unchanged, the journal and its website are credited, and is for non-commercial use. A printed version of this and many other articles on Latter-day Saint scripture can be found at journal.interpreterfoundation.org. More information about the Interpreter Foundation, along with a wide array of additional resources, can be found at interpreterfoundation.org.